0: Live. Hello and welcome. This is Wolf, your host and assistant writer to Ken Burnett, the inspired author of the book and e-book, Revelation of Revelation, A Tale fraud. What you're about to hear on this episode of Revelation of Revelation has never been revealed before now in audio format. We invite you to listen in now as we introduce the program's topic on this one-of-a-kind program, where it is that the scripture speaks the truth through the in-depth scripture studies of Ken Vernon. Good evening, Ken.
1: Good evening, Brooke. Once again, we begin our program tonight with some very familiar words, I am sure, to most of us who grew up in the Christian community, regardless of denomination. Again, those very familiar words, in my father's house, are many mansions. And it goes on with a few more words. But tonight we are going to focus on in my father's house from the Gospel of John chapter 14 and verse 2. Every time I read them, I am reminded of my reaction to them some 70 years ago as a child. The question that came to my mind was very simple. After all, I was only a seven-year-old. I reasoned from that perspective. I lived in a house, and my grandmother lived in a very large house. Some even referred to it as a mansion. Now, here's the thing. If God has a house, how gigantic that house must be in order for him to put mansions in it. I hope you get the impact of that. That has to be some incredible house in order to have mansions inside of it. My Sunday school school teacher told me One of those mansions would be mine someday, if I was a good person when I die. (laughs) Those words didn't surprise me. That, That was a teaching everywhere. She continued to tell me that I would be taken to heaven by angels with harps playing to my mansion in the sky. Sounded pretty good a heavenly place to live however i'm sure you you can recall some of those words are used today in the christian community going home to a mansion in the sky in one of the songs no mistaking that anyway all of that made absolutely no Sense to me at that time, and I'm sure as hell <laughs> it does not now in any way shape or form, but as a seven year old i was I would not question my teacher had I done that, I would have been in hellfire for questioning the inspired words of God, which everyone or I should say most everyone, even today, educated people, college educated people still buy into that trash and pardon my calling it trash. As I go, you will see why I call it trash. And if you remember this program and you tune in at our next broadcast, I will bring you a an absolute avalanche of scriptures, which speaks about my father's house. And you will see that that passage from John 14 is nothing but trash. Anyway, let me continue here so that you can get a, the full impact as I begin. Here I am Today, 70 years later, with a great deal of knowledge well beyond my Sunday school days and my teachers, I have come to learn from the scriptures never to trust any mortal. Never, never, never. Cursed be the man who puts his trust in man. You will find that in the book of the prophet Jeremiah chapter 17 And verse 5. The Creator pronounces a curse on anyone who does that. In the book of Proverbs, our Creator tells us to trust in Him with all our hearts and lean not onto our own understanding. That's written in Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Now you understand why He says He places a curse on any man, who puts his trust in another man. He says, Do not lean on your own, own understanding, but trust in me for everything that you do. Let me continue. In verse 6, he reminds us to acknowledge him, and he shall direct our paths. Verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, from another passage of Scripture, our Creator tells us, and I quote, the way of man is not in him that walks to direct his steps. And in yet another passage of Scripture, we are told, God speaks to us. By His great power, we are led. That should give you a sense of why He said those things that I said to you only a few moments ago. Not to trust in anyone. He directs our past. He speaks to us, even when we don't know. I'm sure you might even remember the Exodus, when he hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let Pharaoh make the right decision until he was finished beating him up and beating up the Egyptian people in the process, because Pharaoh thought that he was doing what was right in his own eyes. Let me continue. Multiple millions of religious people never read those passages. Instead, they follow the traditions of their Christian following or their Christian indoctrination given them, which was fabricated by the people who brought to the world Christianity from Rome, which came, from which came the Protestant Church but still under the Christian banner, this time with its many, many denominations. Those words do not appear anywhere in your Bible. You can go to your concordance, look for the word denominations, and you won't find it. But I will invite you at this point to go to our website, Revelation of Revelation.com, And there are two articles there that will help you to greatly understand where Christianity comes from. Again, the website is revelationofrevelation.com. Those articles are posted on that site. You You are free to read them at any time. Once again, as I mentioned, there are no denominations listed in your Bible. I'm not faulting my teacher, teachers, she, he. They were unaware of the fact that they were simply following traditions they were born into, which they unwittingly fed to the other generation of young people like myself some 70 years ago. Let me continue once again. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7 and verse 7, the Messiah had this to say to his critics. His critics, meaning the religious experts of his day. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That is where traditions take us. Worshipping the Creator in vain, in spite of all our best intentions. Now you know why he tells us from the prophet Jeremiah, cursed be the man who puts his trust in man. Don't fault your Sunday school teacher or your preacher or whoever they are. They are simply following tradition. All the church services and Sunday school attendance was worth absolutely nothing In his sight. They were all in vain. Let me now go back to the Gospel of John and examine further what's written in verse 2 of John 14. Previously I read, In my Father's house are many mansions. It continues, If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3 says, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Those words He shared with His disciples and the people who were following Him at that time. But He departed and never returned. All the apostles died, and the entire first century congregation also from that line, we can see very clearly that the dead congregation ministers and the apostles could not be living in a mansion in the sky. That means they're still in their graves. No one came to get them, to take them to their mansion in the sky. They're still dead. The apostle Shaul, or Paul, if you will, and we have been conditioned to call him, was inspired to deliver a distinctly different message to the congregation in Kern. He says this, he says this, If the dead rise not, eat and drink for tomorrow you die. Now, how is that for a major contradiction? The apostles were told Messiah would come back to get them. He never did. And now here we have the Apostle Paul telling us that <laughs> eat and drink, for tomorrow you die, if the dead rise not. In 1 Corinthians 15, he also told that same congregation as in Adam, all die. So in Messiah, All shall be made alive. So all the believers who are dead await the resurrection of the dead. They didn't go to any mansion in the sky, in any house, that is, God's house. No one went to heaven. No one went to hell. No one went to any mansion in the sky. Again, I repeat, that should be obvious to all Bible students. In Hebrews 9 and verse 27 the apostle Paul reminded the first century congregation in the holy land it is appointed unto all men once to die after death comes judgment so we see very clearly from that passage that one has first one must first experience the resurrection of the dead before Anything else will happen in their lives. There is no judgment when you die. You simply go to your grave. That's what the scripture says. Here I'll share with you another scripture from the book of Job. And it reads as follows. If a man dies, shall he live again? The answer comes from verse 15. All the days of my appointed time I will wait till my change come. You will have a desire to the work of your hands. You will call, and I will answer. That is distinctly clear. Once again, he emphasized the resurrection of the dead. Saul further said to that congregation, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, as in dead, but we shall be, that we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, for a trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed, speaking here of his followers, those who are members of the first fruits, not the world in general. This is not a program to discuss both resurrections. This is simply to the apostles and the first century congregation. In the, At that moment, when that trumpet sounds, we go from mortal beings to incorruptible spirit beings with a body just like our Creator. We become the first fruits. We become His certified children of spirit, possessing a spirit existence, no longer flesh and blood. He makes that very clear in the following line when he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Dead people are dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, as Paul reminded the congregation in Corinth, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Going to heaven or hell when we die is the most absurd, ridiculous suggestion inserted within the pages of the Bible by the charlatans who fabricated Christianity. They also tell us, or would try to make us believe, that there are dead people in heaven under some altar. (laughs) You'll find that in the fraudulent book of Revelation. What the Apostle Saul wrote in the New Testament is in complete harmony with what King Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes centuries before the Apostle Paul, perhaps even a good millennium. We will now take a look at some of those scriptures from Ecclesiastes, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 9. Let me grab my, well, let me go with the the CJB from Dr. Stern. And we will go from there. where, Where are you? Where are you? to heal him Psalms. If you are getting a little antsy, don't be don't be too too anxious. I will get to Ecclesiastes here in a minute. These pages are very, very thin and they sometimes they're really a huge problem. Again, I may even have to switch and go to my old large print old large print King James, which is always easier to find. King Solomon was the man to whom the creator gave an incredible gave an gave I should say an incredible amount of of wisdom, he was inspired to bring us the book of Ecclesiastes and the Proverbs. Let me read from Ecclesiastes 3. And he begins Ecclesiastes 3 by saying, To everything, there's a season, and a time to every purpose under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which was planted. I will skip a few verses here, and... I love what he says, because unless you get to be an older person, you don't really appreciate it. He said, what profit has a man that works in that, in that therein he works? He says, I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. I know there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and do good in his life. I know that whatsoever God does, he does it forever. Nothing can be put to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. Let me take you to chapter 9. Well, before I go there, let me back up a little bit here. He says, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men, befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dies, so dies the other. Yes, they have all one breath, so that a man has no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All, all, beasts and men alike, Go on to one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Everyone knows that scripture, starting in Genesis, when Adam and Eve are told, Dust you are, and on to dust you shall return. You don't go to any mansion in the sky, you don't go to any house that the Creator has in the sky. You go to your grave, because you are dust. Now, let me take you to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, because this is really very good. Few, very few indeed, are the people who will bring you these scriptures. In verse 2 of 9, King Solomon wrote, all things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who sacrifices not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and as he that sweareth, as he that fareth an all. This is an evil among all things that have been done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yes, also the sons of men are full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. That's pretty clear. I'll take you to verse 5. It makes it even clearer. You will see how these scriptures are in total harmony with what the Apostle Saul taught the first century church in Corinth. He says, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. That's right. You don't go any place where you are conscious when you die. But the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is even forgotten. So he, he basically says here, go your way eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God now accepts your works. He continues in verse 10. He says, Whatsoever your hand find to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work, no device, no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave where you go. The scriptures again and again Make it absolutely positively clear that when you die, it's all over. And as the Apostle Saul reminded the people and the congregation current, if the dead rise, now basically party time, eat and drink for it. There is no tomorrow, but there is a tomorrow, as we learned from Job, as I read that to you before, and also his promise that. It is appointed unto all men once to die. After death come judgment from Hebrews 9 and verse 27. And there you have from the scriptures from centuries apart we are told that the dead goes to the ground, goes back to dust. You do not go to a mansion your life, and that is all the resurrection. Of... One more I turn it over to Brooke next week.
0: Okay, thank you, Ken Vernon. You've been listening to Revelation of Revelation. Visit the website.com scriptures that are revealing the truth of scriptures that have eluded for millennia because it was not intended to be revealed until this time. So seeking to learn the truth has been your first step. Seeking the truth has brought you to these programs that are archived here on the TalkShoe Network. Seeking to learn the truth is what brought you these programs and the website and the ebook and published book found at revelationofrevelation.com is something that you can put in your hands very quickly by visiting the website. The ebook, and or published book, a total fraud. Look for it at your major online bookstores as well. Visit revelationofrevelation.com to order your book and also to look at the blogs, the newsletters, that are there for your convenience and and your time schedule. There's no time like the present to whet your appetite with this program and want to learn more. That's what Ken and I are all about. We ask for no donations. This is a service of the shoe family that provides this worldwide internet podcast facility. For that, we are appreciating them and, of course, the scripture in-depth studies of Ken Vernon and his lifetime. Until the next time, this is Brooke Volk saying good night and tune in again real soon.